Please open to Ephesians chapter 5. Oh my goodness. Ecclesiastes, thank you. Yeah, no, we, we'll, we won't do Ephesians 5. Ecclesiastes 5. You can shake your head at that. Thank you. Okay. Ecclesiastes 5, verses 1 through 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow vow to God, do not delay paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the works of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Let me pray for our time together in God's word. Lord, I pray that we would indeed worship you in this time. God, I pray for my own heart even. Lord, that I would not just be here saying words. Lord, that I would be worshiping you. And Lord, that you would guide and protect my tongue. Lord, that I would not... Speak wrongly of your word, but God, that your truth would be proclaimed. I ask God that you would work in each of our hearts this evening to behold your glory and to worship you. May your spirit work and convict our hearts tonight, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, When I was in high school, maybe you don't know this, I did not grow up going to TYG. I'm an imposter, okay? Uh, but although I did, I did come to TYG a lot. But I lived in Rockland, uh, about an hour and a half north of here. Um, while I had many ties here and many people here and um, went to the winter camp and things like that and 30-hour famine, which most of you guys don't know, uh, I was a part of a different church and different youth group up in Rockland. And I remember when I first got into high school and uh, was going to that youth group, they went uh, on a mission trip, a, a spring break mission trip down to Mexico. And it wasn't, I didn't have enough time to join it and, and go on the missions trip. Uh, but I had interest. And when they came back, I hear all these stories and all these testimonies of how great it was, right? And they like, they uh, help build houses uh, for some of them down there. They run like a VBS and they do other things. And I remember just hearing all the stories and how great it was. And a common theme that I'd often hear was something like, oh, man, yeah, you know, we went down there to bless them, but I, I was more blessed. I, I, I came back more blessed than, than I felt like I was able to bless them. And in hearing that over and over again, I thought to myself, man, I, I want that. Like, that sounds good. I, I want that experience. And I remember then when it came around next year, I was like, sign me up. I'm going down to Mexico. I, I'm building houses. I'm, I'm going to be running VBS, all this stuff. Like, 
I wanted, I wanted to serve. I did want to do that. But internally, I was, I was really looking to see how I could gain that great experience through this. How will I be blessed in this? And outwardly, I was doing the work. Believe it or not, I, I, I put up some walls on a house. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. With help, okay? And, and I would even say I, I had a desire to serve. I did. But I also would say my heart was not right. Uh, my heart was selfish. I was not worshipful. I was self-seeking. And no one around me could have known that. In fact, I probably at the time, I didn't even realize that myself. But now looking back, I I'm pretty can confidently say that. My, my heart was not worshiping. My heart was self-seeking. And you don't have to go on a missions trip for this to be true. But even here, we can participate in worshipful activities and yet, and yet not truly be worshiping. Now Solomon has been looking everywhere in the world in his quest to find meaning and joy and satisfaction and purpose. And he has searched and he has learned that it cannot be found in pleasure or in wisdom or in work or in popularity or in government and so on and so forth. But what about the church? What about in religion? What about in worship? Can we find true meaning and purpose in the house of God and in worship to him? It seems like a place in which we should. In this passage, Solomon shows that there's a way in which you can, quote, worship, and yet it still be empty and meaningless and vain. There is vanity in disingenuousness and, and, and shallow and godless worship. And sadly, this has become, I think, all to the norm in churches today. The shallow worship. A godless worship. Has this become true in our church? Has this become true in our youth group? Has this become true in you and in your own heart? Is your worship disingenuous? Uh, disingenuous? Is, is your worship shallow? Is your worship godless? For many, church has become all about me, about my preferences, about my likes, about what I want. It's about how I felt after worship it's about did, did i like the sermon or, or did i not did, did, did i have friends there were, were people nice to me were they welcoming to me did i feel good during the service did i feel good after the service and the focus becomes man-centered it's about me but instead of leaving church thinking of how did that make me feel? Instead of leaving, uh, critiquing the sermon and critiquing the worship, and even instead of leaving thinking, this is what I need to do more, we ought to be leaving church beholding the glory of God and worshiping Him. Too often, church and, and worship is not about God, but has become about me. What can I gain? 
And what can they give to me? We ought to be standing in awe of our great God. And we ought to respond in living in genuine worship to him. So I start by asking, has your worship become shallow? Has your worship become empty? Has it become meaningless? Well, tonight we are going to look at three characteristics of meaningless worship that Solomon lists for us. And then we're going to look at the heart of true worship. Okay, that's where we're going tonight. Three characteristics of meaningless worship. And then we're going to look at the heart of true worship. Okay, so first, meaningless worship, verses 1 through 6. It's the majority of our time here. The first characteristic we see is this, a heartless sacrificial offering. Or heartless sacrificial offerings. Heartless sacrificial offerings. Verse 1. This is what he says in verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. He says to guard your steps. Guard your steps. Now what does he mean by that when he says guard your steps? He doesn't mean when you go to church to worship, watch where you're walking because you might trip. Watch your steps. That's not what he's saying. Guard your steps is an idiom that he uses. And what he's saying is he's saying watch your heart. Be, be mentally prepared. That, that as you worship, guard your steps. Guard your heart and your mind. Don't just walk in willy-nilly. But guard your steps as you go to worship. Now I think we have fallen far from this. How often do you guard your steps as you come to a place of worship? Now, I understand our lives ought to be worship. I understand that, that God is omnipresent, right? He, he's everywhere. But what I'm saying is that, there, that there's something to be said about about taking specific time, let's say, to meditate on his word, to be in prayer, and even your own private worship. And I think even more so, and even in this context, I think, is that coming together as a body of Christ to worship him. There's something unique about that. And we are approaching a holy God. My fear is that we do so flippantly. And we do not guard our steps. But we approach a time of specific and devoted worship to God as if it's no big deal. And in this verse, Solomon proposes a negative and a positive way in which we ought to or we not, ought, ought not to offer our sacrifice of worship to God. I want to look at both. First, the negative. The negative way is to offer the sacrifice of fools. And I believe what he's getting at here is, is this superficial, this, this mindless way of worship. It is this sacrifice of fools. It's just, it's just giving. It's just sacrificing to an idol just, just to appease the God. There's no worship. You're just giving. You're sacrificing to the idol to, to appease them. It's, it's mindless. It's not worshipful. What he's talking about is, is a ritualistic way of worshiping. You're just doing it out of ritual. It's simply just, just going through the motions, doing what you're supposed to do, saying what you're supposed to say for, for the sake of worship. However, it's not true worship from the heart. 
Do we not at times fall to that very same thing? Is your worship not at times ritualistic? Going through the motions? And we may be fully committed to going to church every Sunday. Yep, every Sunday I get up and and I go to church. We may be fully committed to singing loud songs of praise. Yes, and we may be fully committed to to note-taking and to to tithing, giving money to the offering, and to fellowshipping with one another. We may be so committed to all these things. And from the outside, it looks great. But maybe your heart is far from worship. When you enter into a specific time of worship, is is your body there, but your heart is not? Are you beholding the glory of God? Are you in awe of who He is and what He has done? And are you praising Him out of an overflow of love from your heart and worshiping Him? Or are you doing the things that you're supposed to do, and you're fine doing them, You have no problem with that. But you're not worshiping Him. I encourage you, evaluate your heart. Might you be be offering your worship to God just mindlessly, superficially, ritualistically? That's the negative, to offer the sacrifice of fools. Now the positive, he's saying, is to draw near to listen. He says to draw near to listen. And to listen is more than just hearing. It is listening to apply or to hear to apply. There's a link. There's a connection between listening and obeying. James 1 speaks of this. James 1, 22 through 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer... He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You see, to hear is one thing. But to listen is to do what you heard. You see the difference between hearing and listening? Listening is doing what you heard. So for instance, you're at home and you're playing video games or painting your nails or whatever you do and, and, uh, or Discord or making movies. What, don't look at me like that. What do you do? I, you look at me like, well, I don't do that. Anyways, you're at home. You're doing whatever you're doing. Entertainment. And your parents are like, Miguel, you're sitting up front. i got to pick on you. <laughs> and your parents are like, Miguel, take out the trash. And you're like, okay, mom. And you keep doing what you're doing. Now, did you hear your mom? You did. Did you listen to your mom? No. No, you didn't. Right? Yeah, bad Miguel. Yeah, right? <laughs> Miguel, he, he heard. He heard. Take out the trash. But did he listen? No, he didn't listen. Why? Because he didn't obey. There's a difference between hearing and listening. Genuine worship is not just hearing, but it is listening. It is obeying God's word. 
You can come in and out of these doors and you can hear God's word. But will you listen? Will you obey? And there is great importance in hearing God's word. There's great importance of that because God's word is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword because God's word is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. God's word is his very breath. It is the exactly his words and exactly what he seeks to communicate to us. And so there is great value in hearing God's word. You realize that almost half of our time here at TYG is used for the preaching of God's word? Why? Not because I want to hear myself talk, okay? That's not why. But because we need to hear God speak. We're not here primarily just even to talk to him or talk to others, but for him to talk to us. And so we hear his word. My question is, do you listen to his word? Because I know you all hear it. But do you listen? And really what it comes down to is a matter of the heart. And that's what he's getting at. A worshipful heart is not a heart that that goes through the motions, that, that hears the word of God, that puts in the time and then just calls it worship. But a true worshipful heart listens and obeys. Is your worship to God a, a mindless, heartless worship? Do you approach your worship to God, maybe like, like you'd approach a, a, a concert or, or, or a movie, that, that, that there's, there's no thought, there's, there's no preparation, it's just, it's just passive participation. That you're there just going through the motions, seeing how it will benefit you, how much enjoyment you can gain from it. Worship is not a concert. Worship is not a movie. It's not about our game. We are not the audience here. He is the audience of one. What we do here, what, what, what we do on Sunday mornings, it's not about us. It's about worshiping him. Worship is about God and his glory. Is that how you approach Worship. Is it God-centered? Or is your worship man-centered? Is it me-centered? Do you listen to his word? Do you value the preaching of his word, knowing that it is God's very word? Or is it the time of the night where you're just waiting for it to get over with? When is Luke going to be done talking? Do you listen to his word? To listen is to obey. Will you hear what God has to say? And will you obey? The next characteristic we see of a meaningless worship is babbling words of prayer. Babbling words of prayer. This is verses 2 through 3. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. 
For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. Solomon warns of the way in which we pray to God. That just because you pray often, just because you pray with many words, just because you pray with with elegant phrases, it, it doesn't mean that you're worshiping. Your prayers could still be empty worship. And he starts off by saying not to be rash or or hasty. Do not just just start babbling words of prayer. In fact, Jesus says something similar in Matthew chapter 6. He says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases. Some uh, translations say do not babble phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't just heap up empty phrases. Don't just babble words of prayer. When you pray to God, do you think of what you're praying? Or is it just that a ritual? Are are, are your words intentional? Are they purposeful? Are they worshipful? Or do you just speak rashly and hastily? Why should we not be rash or hasty with our words to God? Well, he tells us. He says, because God is in heaven and you are on earth. What's he saying? He's saying, do you realize who you are speaking to? God is in heaven. You are on earth. Put things in perspective of who we are approaching when we go to pray. I mean, just think about your, your own daily life. If you were going to meet someone important, let's say for the first time, you would, you would prepare yourself ahead of time. You would not be rash. You would not be hasty in, in speaking to them. You would think about what you're going to say. You would approach that person carefully, respectfully, calmly. One day, maybe you guys, some of you, just a few of you, will get married. And maybe, let's say, boys, go to meet the father. Okay? Oh, right? Yeah. Oh. That's right. Oh. Right? Boys, let's say you're going to pick her up on a date. You're going to meet the parents for the first time. Hopefully you met them before. But let's just say this is what happens. And on your way over there, you're driving. I'm sure you're thinking, oh, man, what am I going to say? Right? And you're rehearsing it in your mind. Think, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to get in there. I'm going to look him in the eyes. Okay, boys, you better do this. Okay? Look him in the eyes. Shake his hand. Firm handshake. Right? And then you're going to say something. Oh, Mr. So-and-so. Right? You're all scared. Right? Of course. Right? Why? Right? Because you, right, the, the, there's this respect. There's this, this reverence. There should be. As you speak to, to this, in your mind, you're thinking, my future father-in-law. Right? Like, this is what's going on. If you were to meet, let's say, the president of the United States, someone, let's say, of, of high importance, you wouldn't just go in there and be like, oh, yeah, who's that? Right? Like, you would, you would think, oh, man, like, what am I going to say? You're going to do it respectfully. You're going to do it carefully. You're going to speak calmly. Why is it any different when we approach God? Have we taken his grace for granted? 
Yes, he, he is our Heavenly Father. And yes, we can boldly and confidently approach him because he loves us and he always welcomes us. Yes, but that does not mean that he is not God. Let us start there. And realize that we need to approach him with reverence and fear. God is in heaven. You are are on earth. God is holy and mighty. You are small and sinful. Realize who God is. And approach him accordingly. And then realize how amazing and how astonishing and and mind-blowing it is that we can indeed approach him with boldness and confidence that he will accept us. That's what's crazy. Instead of coming to God with rash and hasty words, Solomon says, let your words be few. Let them be few. I think sometimes maybe we we believe deep down that if, if we say the right words and if we say them enough times and if we say them at just the right time, then God will answer our prayers according to how we want them answered. That's just a form of manipulation. We can't manipulate God. Well, if I just say it enough times and if I just keep saying these right words, eventually he will answer how I want Now Solomon says in verse 3, For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. He uses the example of someone who who has worked so hard during the day that they're in deep sleep. And they have many dreams, right? They've worked hard all day. But the dreams are not real. They're fantasy. In the same way, you can be working hard by saying all of these words in prayer. But it's a fantasy to believe that the more words you say, the better and more effective your prayer is. That's not how God works. God answers our prayers according to his will. And he uses our prayers as a means to accomplish his will, yes. But we do not change the mind of God and we do not manipulate him. So let your words be few. Let them not just be a babbling mess of words. But may they be worshipful. May they be intentional words of prayer. It's a matter of the heart. To have a heart of worship in your prayers. The great author John Bunyan once said, In prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. Are your prayers heartless? Are they just words that you say in order to to accomplish some kind of Christian task or or, or in order to to hopefully gain something that you want in this world and so you're just saying these words and these prayers because that's what you think you're supposed to do? Let your prayers be worshipful. Approach God with reverence and fear and worship him in your prayers. The last, the third meaningless worship we see is empty and unfulfilled promises. Verses 4 through 6. Empty and unfulfilled promises. 
starting in verse 4. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. The vows were made as part of their worship and their sacrifice. Making promises to God that if, if he were to do something for them, that, then they would in turn, or that, that uh, they, yeah, then they would in turn do something back for God. So, for example, Deuteronomy 23, 21. It says this, If you make a vow to the Lord, your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. Backing up what this says. If you make a vow to God, you better fulfill it. Numbers 21, 2 and 3. And Israel vowed a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed give this people into my hand, then I will devote their cities to destruction. And the Lord heeded the voice of Israel and gave over the Canaanites. And how did they respond? And they devoted them and their cities to destruction. Right? So they kept their vow. Now, people do this same thing even today. They may pray. They may ask God to do something for them. And they're saying, I will do something in return for you. Now, while I do think that there's, we, we need to be careful in, in bartering with God, that's, that's a separate point. The, the point that Solomon is, Solomon is making here is do not make a vow to God and not keep it. That's what I want to focus on tonight. Do not say, God, if you remove this child from my life, then I will blank, whatever that might be. And then the child is removed, and then yet your life remains the same, and you don't do what you said you would do. That's what Solomon's getting at. Solomon would say that if you're not going to keep your vow, it's better to not make it in the first place. Now, how might this, or how might we be challenged by this today? And it feels like, well, I don't really talk like that. Let me ask you this way. Do you take seriously what you say to God? Start there. Do you take seriously what you say to God? Or in your empty worship, do do you make empty promises? We've all seen it before. Maybe you you leave a discussion group. We have a discussion group Wednesday night. Ah, great discussion group. And you leave on on a Wednesday night or, or summer camp. You leave summer camp or you leave winter camp. You're feeling great and you say, yeah, I know I need to do this differently. Yeah, I know when I get back home, I, I'm, I'm going to live different. Yeah, I, I know that's wrong, and, and, and things will be different from here on out. And yet you walk away the same. And there is no difference. And you say all these words, you give all these promises to God, and yet they're empty. Do not make empty and unfulfilled promises to God. That is empty worship. Now, in the Christian life, there is battle with our sin. Yes, we struggle and and we say that that we won't do things and then we fall. And there is grace upon grace in our failures. The the point here is, is not perfection. The point is evaluating your heart. When you say to God, I'm going to be different. Do you mean it? I'm not saying, are you perfect in doing it? Do you mean it? Or is it empty promises? Is it empty worship? I hear people say, oh, I'm going to be different. 
And they say, I mean it. But I don't see any change in their life. I don't see any attempt to be different. Instead, we should be moved by his love and by his grace and by his glory. And we should desire, we should strive for nothing else than to live and worship to him in all things. And we can honestly say, I mean it. But I ask you, do you honestly mean it? Do you honestly mean it? When in just a little bit, we will be going into our discussion groups. And hopefully be challenged to say, oh, yeah, this and that and this. Oh, my life. Okay. Does that lead to worshiping him and saying, God, help me and give me the strength to change? Because that change comes from you and your grace. So help me. And then you, in your participation that are working out, your salvation with fear and trembling, you work towards that by his grace and by his strength. Yes. Or do you just say it? Empty promises, unfulfilled promises, empty worship. We will fail. We will fall. And we must rest in his grace. And in that grace, we must still continue to worship him and to strive to live for his glory. Well, that is the meaningless worship. But what about the true worship? Verse 7, we see the true worship. We'll have two points for this. The first is worship in the fear of God. Verse 7, for when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But what? But God is the one you must fear. This concludes and this summarizes this this small section here. Solomon shows us what, what meaningless worship is. He shows us that it is vanity, yes. But what is true worship? The fear of God. It's often our tendency to lose the fear of God in our lives, I think. I think maybe it starts with the loss of respect and reverence to, to, to our authorities just in general. Whether it's our teachers or our parents or, or police officers or our president. In general, our society, our culture has, has just lost a respect for those in authority over us. And then we take that lack of respect and honor and we treat God as if he's just like any of these other authorities. We must fear God in every sense of the word. Proverbs 9.10 says the fear of the Lord, of Yahweh, is the beginning of wisdom. Do you fear God? Do you fear Yahweh? God is a God to be feared. We must tremble in the presence of God. We must revere and respect who he is in his holiness, in his might, in his character. It is this fear that drives us to worship, to truly, genuinely worship him. If he was not a God to be feared, he would not be a God worthy of our worship. But he is to be feared. 
And he is to be worshipped because he is greater than all. And there is none like him. And there is none greater than him. And so we fear. We respect. We revere our God. Now respect and reverence, it doesn't mean joyless. It doesn't mean we just joylessly worship God because we have to have reverence. Amazing grace. That's not what it means. If anything, it should create great joy in our worship because we see how worthy he is to be worshipped and we see how unworthy we are of his love. And yet he loves us. And so we worship him with great joy. Now, just because his worship ought to be filled with joy, it doesn't mean that it, it ought to be filled with superficial emotions. That, that you feel this fake, oh, I, I love God, yeah, oh, I love him so much. Do you? Like, do you love God? Do you fear him? See, that this genuine worship, Solomon says, is the fear of God. Not just feeling gooey about him because because the music or because or the pastor makes you feel good about yourself or because you feel great with your friends or whatever, and so you just... Leave feeling like you worship God because you felt all bubbly inside. Is it genuine worship? Or is it empty worship? Fear God and worship Him with a genuine heart. How do we do this? How is it that this holy God that is worthy of our fear would even accept our worship? Well, lastly, and to answer that question, we worship through the finished work of Christ. We worship through the finished work of Christ. Now, in the Old Testament, there are many restrictions, there are many requirements in order to approach God. And we're like, man, why is there so many requirements? Well, are you kidding me? Of course there is. God is a holy God. What, what makes us think that we could just, just casually approach him? No way. But then Jesus came and he changed everything. You realize that? Because Jesus is better than any of the ceremonies, than any of the regulations, than any of the priests, than any of the sacrifices. See, because Jesus was the sacrifice, and Jesus is our great high priest. And Jesus came, and he added humanity to himself, and he lived a perfect life, and he died on the cross in our place. And in doing so, he paid the price for our sin, that we might be saved. And in three days, he rose from the dead, conquering over sin and death. And when he died... The earth shook and the rocks split. And the curtain that was separating the most holy place from from the rest of the sanctuary, it tore from top to bottom, completely tore, open. And what this shows us is that Christ has now opened the way in which we can access God, which we have access to God, that we can now approach this holy God. Not through our own goodness or our own works or our own confidence, but we can approach him through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Because he is our mediator. He is our great high priest. And he has torn the veil so that we can have direct access to God through him. And it's through Jesus Christ 
we have forgiveness of our sins. Even in our empty worship. Because Christian, we still offer up empty worship. I still offer up empty worship. We will still be heartless in our offering. We will still babble in our prayers. We will still make empty promises. But thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. For there is grace. And there is forgiveness in Him. That even in our empty worship, we can still approach God. And He still loves us. And He still accepts us. And that will never change. Because Christ has paid for our sins. And Christ has made the way for us to be accepted by God. And some in here are not a Christian. And you you need to know that there is forgiveness of all of your sins through Jesus Christ. That forgiveness is not found in anything else. And you may have great faith. You may have great faith in your heritage, in your family, in your family's upbringing, and, and their Christian family values and practices. You may have great faith in your works. You may have great faith in your knowledge of God, faith in any of these other things. And it is empty. Place your faith in the saving and the finished work of Jesus Christ. It is Christ alone that can save. Repent of your sins. And ask that God will forgive you of your sins. Fear God. And worship Him. And you see, it is because of Christ. That we can worship God. Christian, Christ has saved you. So what now? What now, Christian? Worship. That's what's now. Worship. Fear God and worship Him. What does that worship look like? Romans 12.1 Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Your life is worship to God. Do not let your life be empty worship. But fear God and present your body as a living sacrifice to Him. For He is worthy of your life and of your worship. Solomon's quest for meaning ought to cause us to pause. And evaluate the genuineness of our worship. So often the the tendency is to to shift the focus and the subject of our worship from God to ourselves. We must evaluate our heart in worship. Is it empty? Is your heart empty? Or is it centered around the fear of God and giving Him the thanks and the worship that He is due? I challenge you, do not make man the subject of your worship. Because as soon as man becomes the subject and the purpose of your worship, it becomes empty worship. But let your worship start with the fear of God. See God for who He is. 
see God for what He has done and see that He is indeed worthy of all worship and praise. And let that worship be genuine from a heart that loves God and that wants His name exalted above all other names. Do not let your worship be mindless. Just going through the motions. But draw near and listen. Obey His word. Desire His glory. Do not just pray with with babbling words. But let your words be few. And may they come from a heart of worship. Do not make empty promises to God. But mean what you say. And strive to worship Him in all things. Most of all, fear God. Fear God. Rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Rest in His grace. And worship Him with your life. Let's take a moment and close in silent prayer. I want you to pray where you are. It'll be a couple minutes. Please take the time. And maybe evaluate your heart. And the genuineness of your heart of worship to God. And confess any sin. And rest in His grace. Fear Him. Behold Him. And worship Him. If you are not in Christ, maybe use this time to reflect on your need for Him. And that you believe in him, confess your sins to him. Take this time to silent prayer. I'll close this in prayer in a couple minutes.